As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we'll be making public apologies to Arsenal after they make a mockery of our predictions on Thursday's show. After that, we'll be saying some positive things about Manchester United for once. But when it comes to Chelsea, it's all rage, fury and confusion. But hey, Wolves were pretty good, weren't they? Um, There's plenty more to discuss too and joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we have a former footballer, a qualified referee, a star reporter and a football philosopher. Alison Rudd is here with us. We have another former footballer who played over a hundred times for Gillingham, Millwall and Nancy. It's Tony Cascarino. And another former footballer <laughs> who played 39 times for Northampton and 40 times for Crewe, which is my tenuous link to allow me to say a belated happy 40th birthday to Gregor Robertson. Happy birthday, mate. Thank you. It is belated, though. It is quite belated. A couple of weeks later. Yeah, about that, yeah. Well, it's had my funny Liverpool intros in the previous one, so okay. you know, I've snuck it in. Did you? I'm over good... it. I'm over it now as well. It was, it was quite depressing, actually. Was it? Yeah. Oh, well, sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> anyway, uh, from happy birthdays to grovelling apologies, and those apologies are me to Mikel Arteta and Arsenal fans after I said that they would be steamrolled by Liverpool at the Emirates on Thursday's show. But I didn't count on Virgil van Dijk and Alisson having a bit of a meltdown. So I'm going to start there because I want the Greg, Greg Robertson Defenders Union to tell me who was at fault. Tony and I were speaking about this before and I I think just because I'm a defender and not a goalkeeper, I always thought if the goalkeeper just stayed in his line, mm. you had to deal with it. And like I, I don't think it's fair just to say that it was, it was Alisson's fault for coming out because he would have made a kind of split second calculation judgment and thought I can get to this. Alison was trying to hold hold off Gabriel, but from my point of view, I've been in that. I've actually been in that situation. Clashed with the goalkeeper. Someone scored. That's happened to me before. Uh, if the goalkeeper stays in his line, you hook it clear, or you you, drag, you dribble it wide and play it down the line. You ha- it's, it has to be you. All there's I no did... hesitation. There's no like doubt. There's no question mark. Sounds like you're sitting on the fence to me. So all I'll say is that I did think it was interesting watching the replay how you could see Van Dyke was almost not even looking at the ball no. he was like I could I could feel the Arsenal attacker and I'm just looking at Alisson going go on this then. is going to be tight go on then get it go on quick bloody hell that's because oh. he's coming off his line yeah. if he stayed on his line Alisson is looking and he sees that he's got to deal with it and he would sorry Van Dyke is looking and seeing he's going to deal with it and he would have dealt with it so Alisson's fault <sighs> it's just about just the Arsenal one Raya Salib- Saliba it's the same thing. Exactly. It's, it's the same thing. So if, you're blaming if, the keeper again as well. If I'm the saying. keeper stays on the line, I know goalkeepers will, will not not agree with this, and that's that's fine. But if the goalkeeper stays in his line, Saliba deals with it. There's no decision to make then. So you're blaming the goalkeeper again, is what I'm saying. I'm just getting to the getting to the crux here. It's I the am, defenders' I'm, union. I'm that's absolutely fine. <laughs> no, boy, we're going to come back to some other big claims that were made on this podcast about this fixture. Alison Rudd, the football philosopher, I've teed you up. You said that if Liverpool won this game, the title was theirs. They've lost it. What happened? What happened? Last week, um, I I look after foxes, urban foxes, and they treat my <laughs> they treat my garden as their home. I feed them every night. One even taps on the door if I'm late feeding, and I virtually give him a whole chicken to keep him quiet. Okay, it, it's it's a bit weird. I agree, but anyway. Um, on Thursday, I didn't, I didn't see it going down the foxes route. I've got to be honest. Are neighbours Thursday, happy? Some don't like foxes, but they can. <laughs> they, they, can they can fox, they can fox, they can fox off. off. Wee. And uh, uh, on on Thursday, uh, in the middle of the morning, there was a fox writhing around in agony in the middle of my garden, and my cat was upset. Everyone was very upset. Vet was brilliant. Two vets came to you the house. You called the vet. <laughs> it's an animal in distress, Tom. Get a grip. 
vets were brilliant. Vets came and um, they caught him quite easily because it turned out he had two broken back legs and he was infe- horribly infected. He stank, actually, he really stank. And so they took him away saying, uh, we try and mend them and put them back in the community. I thought there was no way you're going to mend him. And sure enough, they had to put him down. But I did say, how on earth? They said he's been in a car crash and that's how he's broken his back legs. So I said, well, how on earth did he get into my garden then? Oh, just just, just checking this is going to come back to the football at some point. Yeah. How did he get back into my garden? They said, well, foxes are amazing. They often get hit by cars but the adrenaline means they don't notice their broken legs even if they've broken all of their legs they will get back to where they consider their home and safe place and and then and then they start dying and it struck me that Klopp's announcement was the car crash and Liverpool have been operating on adrenaline since then and looking like definite never going to drop a point going to win the quadruple but you get that let down after the adrenaline and they were the fox writhing in the garden when the adrenaline's gone and this was the come down this is the come down some people expected when Klopp first announced he was going didn't happen then because the adrenaline kicked in the adrenaline's gone now they're faced with the reality and it was one of the poorest performances we've seen in recent times under Klopp yeah, I was worried. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I, very, I was very, actually, very worried halfway through there, but you really, really? brought it round. Really, you yeah. were worried. I was a bit worried, actually, yeah. <laughs> I thought your adrenaline had gone from the whole Jurgen Klopp announcement. I think she's lost the plot here, lads. She's finally gone. Uh, Tony, what actually happened in the football? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's actually a very good analogy. It is, is yeah. It is, yes. But no, in more like specific footballing matters, Tony, what happened? Um, what I would say is that you can get caught like a rabbit in the head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, what I would say is that Klopp has been extraordinary with some of his substitutions, his lineup. He seemed to have got it spot on. What I saw yesterday was, first and foremost, if Nunes is fit, don't have him on the bench. First and foremost, that was my third. If he's ready to come on after 60 minutes, start him. Don't don't go down the road of changing too much because he is the one that stretches the opposition. And when Liverpool get in trouble, they've always got that ball they can get it out with, obviously, Nunes. And then there was McAllister. And I spoke about it in my piece today. The number six. I don't see a number six. I watched him in his early days at Brighton and he was way more forward and way more effective. That eventually got him the move. And yes, you could say the World Cup that with Argentina and blah, blah, blah. I don't see him on the as a six. He gets caught way too much on the ball. You know, the, the performance of Jorginho told you everything you should know about a holding midfield player. It's simple, move the ball. And look, we've seen a summer of big money moves with players who can just break up the play, get on the ball, not be elaborate, just move the ball. He doesn't do that very well. So there was, there were the two of the major issues. That's without the ma- the mistakes because the, me, I'm with Greg and Allison a bit. I mean, I'm going to be again go Casasaurus as in I remember <laughs> when goalkeepers come out, they not only take out the forward, they take out you as well. You know, so it, when he came out, it was a bit. He's even attempted to try and play up the outside of his boot. Mm. And I'm thinking, yes, you get you see a little clip with Van Dyke, but the outside of your boot is not a way to take a ball for a goalkeeper when a ball is bouncing. So I, I felt there was a lot wrong on the day. Um, I felt there was complacency. I thought Trent looked like a player to me that had his nose put out of joint slightly with Bradley doing so brilliantly well and he's the number one right back and he comes in and he was just off of Mar- uh, Martinelli. Mm. You know, I know he's going to get done every now and again. You know that. But even in his play, he looked like he was a bit complacent in his game. And, and then there's just some poor performances. Gatpo is not a solution in front of Nunes for Liverpool. Yeah. He, he, he is, um, I'm not quite sure what he is. He's not a direct sort of number nine, come forward. He's a little bit of a luxury where you play him. And I think they got caught. And I'm totally, Zinchenko, and then not having Salah up against him was mm. just huge for Liverpool. And Arsenal deserved all the plaudits because they were... They started the game really well and they took on Liverpool and the first goal was a pleasure to see, even though I'm a Liverpool, you know, mm. all that. But um, they were they were well-structured and caused Liverpool a lot of problems. Yeah, more specifics on Arsenal then, Gregor. I thought it was interesting watching the game. Martin Odegaard's influence seemed to be a bit more telling in this game, not just with that first goal, but generally. 
that's something that you've highlighted this season as that they've not been able to do, not been able to get him on the ball, pulling the strings. T- tell us a bit more about what Arsenal did well. I think it was kind of bravery. I think Klopp alluded to it after the game as well. They didn't really, they didn't really. He said they didn't, we didn't play our football, and that part of that has to do with who was in midfield. Also, thought that Joe Gomez kind of trying to move inside, yeah, and to, so they could get Trent wider. It just didn't work. But I think you have to give Arsenal great credit for the way they pressed and hounded after after Liverpool. They didn't, they, you know, we can we can have you know we can pick apart Liverpool's performance, but Arsenal made it very difficult for them. They really did. So we're they were so so high tempo um, and the goal was a perfect example of the bravery I'm talking about when kind of one, ta- one touch play, play from the back little triangles then out wide to Zinchenko then inside to Odegaard who'd kind of drifted into that little pocket you're talking about and slipping it inside well he looked like he could have played it wide I think to Martinelli but he slipped it inside to, uh, to Havertz if Havertz scores that first time that's like a contender for, go- for goal of the season you know what I mean it's like it's something mm. Diminished a little bit just because he, because Saka had to finish off the 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 rebound. But I think possibly the two of them, there's been the two of them kind of almost playing like false nines together. You know they defended in a four four two, but when they but then they also Havertz and Odegaard were both kind of neither was an out and out centre forward. Havertz sometimes occupied the centre half, but he also dropped in and he made it difficult for when you've got two players doing that. It makes it difficult for. The kind of communication between the defenders and the midfielders of the opposite team to try and pick them up and, and close them in the space. Uh, so he was definitely far more influential. But I think the biggest thing was their bravery on the ball at the back. Even Raya getting the ball and sort of, you know, taking a touch and, and then dragging it. And is he going to go left? No, he's going to go right. Not he'll just plays it through between the lines. He, they did that far better than Liverpool, and they really managed to sort of play their way out of. Through the, through Liverpool's press, through Liverpool's through the lines, mm-hmm. and then they were on the front foot. And the thing that Tony's talking about, Trent, it's it's a kind of it's it's not the first time we've seen it. When he teams target the space in behind, it makes life so hard for the right sided central defender. You need to be like the best athlete, as well as the guy who's trying to build build attacks. You need to be such an all round defender. And Kanati had a lot on his plate in this game. Whether it was whether as as I say, kind of wrestling with Havertz or trying to cover the space that Trent always leaves, that's a tough job for any defender in football. And ultimately, I think you know there were moments where he was exposed. In terms of some of the points you made about Liverpool, and I sense there's a lot of kind of maybe little critiques of Jurgen Klopp. Is this maybe a case, Alison, of we've said a lot this season how brilliant is all the options that they've got, lots of midfield options and some clever signings that have worked out lots of forward options. Was this just a case of, you know, missing some definite starters like Mo Salah and then not quite getting the blend right? Well, yes. Yes and no. At the start of the season, I said on the podcast, I said, Liverpool will win the title, but they'll concede in every game. They're just, they're just, and they've had this thing, haven't they, that you almost think, why do you bother scoring against Liverpool? You'll just make them angry and they'll find that extra gear it's almost like they need waking up they play on a lot of um they the reserves of passion and indignation and knowing that they're all what they're meant to do they're a unit all that sort of stuff they 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 have that, that sense of destiny momentum behind them and so on and they, they do look different normally when when there's a setback they respond and I, I, my concern is, is less about um, who might have been missing because I, they've been able to absorb that quite well actually. It's it's that what do Liverpool do now? Do they think ah actually maybe you can't rely on the fact that you can absorb a setback and respond because they didn't in this game. That I and mean, that was the biggest shock to me because I was not perturbed at all that Arsenal took the lead I just thought well that's been your catchphrase for the last few weeks hasn't it but is that not credit to Arsenal then maybe more than for some of the things Greg was talking about for keeping on well yes it's a perfect storm isn't it I think Arsenal had probably the best game I've seen for a long time and it kind of did yes yes exactly they had all the the qualities that you see with Liverpool if Liverpool were Anfield in a similar big game you feel they would have responded the way that Arsenal did and Arsenal did it did that 
But it's the perfect storm because Arsenal were able to do that because Liverpool did not come out in the second half and make them pay. They they just they played better, I think, Liverpool, but they weren't they weren't full of that sense of I don't know, they even lacked that utter self belief that they have a lot of the time as well. That the idea that you reap what you sow and if you work hard and if you swarm and if you have energy and if you're brave with your attacking philosophy, then you you know, it'll you'll get the reward. And they did they 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 didn't seem to have it. And Klopp afterwards sort of took the view that, well, you know, great players have off days. We had an off day. It's not that important. These things will happen. But do they Liverpool have to decide now, is, is this like a key moment in the title race? Because it's a wonderful attribute to have to not be scared of going goal down or, or conceding. But it, it's not... It's not, it, but now I think there'll be doubts about actually. I mean, you're talking about the mistake. You're talking about the error that led that led led to the opening goal, the second goal, and as if and, and every all the context has been oh, you know, Virgil Van Dijk, best best centre half in the league, very very unusual for him to make that sort of mistake. Allison probably going to be named the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, very very unusual, but actually. They've 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 had weaknesses all campaign little blips little mm. misunderstandings. But that's natural. Exactly, I mean, exactly, exactly. exactly. It's, it, but do, um, and it's almost been overlooked because as a unit they look so together, and when it clicks, they do look the best goalkeeper and the best centre half in the league. But it. Do, 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 does Klopp just pretend this doesn't ha- didn't happen, or does he try and concentrate more on um, defensive stability and caution? Because caution's not been part of Liverpool's. So you're almost saying like they need a, they need a plan B that is a bit more cautious than the slightly crazy way that they've been playing all season. Which well, sounds... it's been it's been like they've just been going from A to B. Yeah. On on a motorway. So they need a C. They need, they need, they, I mean, do they, do I, they, do, does this yeah. knock that sense of inevitability that they can control their own destiny? I think the errors don't mean that that doesn't happen. And also the fact that it's only their second defeat of the whole season. I don't think they're gonna, this is going to be, you know, a fatal setback for Liverpool. I also think Arsenal managed the game well because mm. Liverpool did improve in the second half and they did. You know, the momentum did shift in their favour and it looked, if anything, like, you know, Diaz cutting a couple of times and whipped one just wide of the post. It looked, if anything, like they might be the ones to get the next goal. But Arsenal kind of managed that quite well and were really dangerous on the break and the counter. And, like, as again, the bravery of, like, Jorginho when in those little transitions to kind of take another an extra touch or to play... A little, play little passes in really tight areas on the edge of their own box before playing forward. Like, Which, when it comes to Jorginho, could be a mistake. <clears throat> He's done those before and given the ball away yeah. and then conceded. So these mm. are, you know, we're almost in fine margin territory. Well, no, well, it is. This is the truth. Like the the the, the game came down to a, a series of errors. It was quite strange in that respect because yeah, you don't expect that of these of, of such a big game like this. The, those those moments, you know, decided the game. Look, but they didn't. To, that's yeah. my point. That's my point. They didn't, though. I mean, they did. But they didn't. They didn't because we've had Liverpool have had those moments a lot. Tony, I would I would say this week is all about for Liverpool is being realistic. Where you are, twenty three games gone, still top of the league. You have still got your own destiny. Got a lot of games to play at Anfield. Obviously, that Liverpool are incredibly strong. They've conceded equally with Arsenal the most, uh, the least goals this season. So you have to be really re- realistic about where you are. Um, and I think this game can let everybody get carried away that Liverpool are vulnerable. Well, they clearly aren't as vulnerable because they're still top of the league. And yes, City have got two games in hand. Well, I was just going to say, Tony, two games in hand. So yeah. is, the, is this made it a three-horse title race or is, did this actually just hand well, Vi- the title Villa, to City? Villa and Spurs are not too far off. You know, it's So you're going five-horse title no, race, I, Tony. I, look, I love it. I, I, me and Gregor, and I, I don't think Alison has said this, me and Gregor have said all season on the podcast that if you finish above Man City, you win the league. 
And that is the problem because City have got games coming up. You just can't see them dropping points. Now, Liverpool do play City at home, which we, we know is coming. But the destiny is in Liverpool's hand. I think sometimes in sport, I remember when Liverpool beat Palace 7-0 away at Selhurst Park a few seasons back, a couple of seasons ago. They then lost their next six home games. Right? They've beaten Crystal Palace 7-0 and they lose their next six home games. Now, sometimes you get that result that gives everybody a kick up the backside and you reset, if you like. And I think this, for me, I would look at it as a reset for Liverpool. They haven't done too much wrong. Interesting. Three-horse race, Gregor? Or are you just going to say the City thing? Just say the City thing. No, Arsenal... Arsenal were never that far away from it. and But again, I, Arsenal can't replicate that performance, I don't think, every week. I don't think they can, because it's part of it is against it's about who they're playing. Yeah, They've exactly. got to have the space yeah. to exploit in behind and stuff. So, you know, it's a very different game with different, you know, you have, you have to produce different ways of opening up an opponent. And that, that's where Arsenal struggled this season. That's why, uh, you know, Paris as I wrote the weekend, set pieces have been so important for them. <laughs> this game... Liverpool were a team who were going to open up and, and leave, leave space for them to exploit, and they did exploit it, but they're in it. They're absolutely in it. Well, by the time you're listening to this game podcast, listeners, you might be Tuesday morning, and we might be on the back of a Manchester City 6-0 win against Brentford, and everyone will be saying the title race is over. <laughs> anyway, to the other side of Manchester, back-to-back wins for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. Fine, one of them might have been a jammy last-minute winner against Wolves, having thrown the, nearly thrown the game away, but... It's time to say some positive things about Manchester United on the game podcast. And I might sound sarcastic. I don't mean it. I mean it genuinely. I was genuinely really enjoyed some of their attacking play against Wolves. And I thought a 3-0 home win against West Ham is about as kind of old school, clinical, ruthless Manchester United as you can get. So now, chaps, I know for two Liverpool fans, this might be quite difficult to go off the back of seeing your team throw away the title to talking about nice things about Manchester United. But we have to do it. I'm going to let Gregor give you an example of a nice thing to say about Manchester United, and then I'm going to hand it to you. Gregor, a nice thing to say about Manchester United. They won 3-0. Oh, come on. No, no, look. I think Ten, Ten Hag said after the game, this is, a, that this is the, the strongest squad he's had since he's been, he's been the manager, as, as in available to him. Yeah. So, Martinez has come back, although unfortunately for him, he's... he's uh, it looks like he might be out for a bit, bit of time. Shaw's back. There's balance. Maguire. They can choose between Maguire, Maguire and Varane rather than you know. Even even the fact of having uh, Mino beside Casemiro, it's like legs beside yeah someone whose legs are waning. They just looked like more balance on the pitch, and that's that has that has always been a problem when they've had so many injuries and when been players out of form and they've had to kind of shuffle the pack. So. This was a much a much more kind of balanced and, and impressive looking Manchester United, um, and the, you know the, the picture the picture that everyone sort of you know spoke about after the game with the three three youngsters mm. sitting on, on the on the hoardings. It's true. There's like potential in that. Yeah, I didn't like that he did it again. Like, come on, <laughs> if you're going to show some you know originality with a celebration, don't do it again straight away after. Uh, Tony, nice things to say about Manchester United. Um. Really, you know, we're echoing what Greg has said. I mean, good finish from Rasmus Hoyland. I well, thought. Hoyland is an interesting one because you know when they bought him, you, you're thinking there isn't much competition there for him, so he's going to have to play. Is it too early for him to play? Um, and initially, United were struggling, as we know, they were really struggling to get goals. The centre forward position seemed a graveyard, and he's got going now. He's got a bit of belief. That goal he got on on the weekend was a pure goal of. Get out of my feet as quick as I can and hit it. Mm. And that in itself is all comes from an air of confidence. And I thought Ganacho is always dangerous. Rashford, there's pace there. The, the front three are all got pace. So, you know, you can be direct if you need to. You can get the ball fast to these players. I, I mentioned in my piece this morning that one thing they don't do as well, they don't, and they haven't covered themselves in glory, is when they lose the ball, the front three don't become a line of defence. Well, that was there a little bit more obvious on, on the weekend. So, um, there's loads of good... I, and I agree with Greg on Casemiro because he's an experienced pro. And he look, he's won everything in the game. And he's a sitter who just moves it around and, and he'll make the tackles for the goal, the challenge he made. Yeah. That's him. That's what he done for Real Madrid year after year. So... Lots of good things um, from where they were. You can now pretty much predict his 11. 
And any manager will tell you, if you can predict 11 and you pre- or we can name someone's 11, that's a good place to be because it's pretty obvious who's in the team and who ain't going to be in the team. Yeah, I thought that was interesting from the Wolves game because I was working that as a late shift and so I was watching it live and obviously it was absolute chaos, which it always is whenever mm. I'm working late and there's a Manchester United game on. But I thought that even the Shaw-Rashford link-up, which yeah. is such an effective yeah. and important thing, isn't it, on the Wolves game, Shaw bombing on, you just know it's going to happen, yeah. but you can't stop it at the same time. That's really important. Alison Rudd, your turn. Nice things about Manchester United. Uh, well, you know, it's only one game. No, I would no. But <laughs> two games, I, two wins, two well, back-to-back wins, three undefeated, up to sixth. Come on. Okay. No, but I, 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 I do have something nice to say about them. That there, there does seem to have been a shift in the uh, vibe around the club, and you can see it on the pitch, and you could see it in the manager. There was um, a bit of joy there, a bit of sense of camaraderie, sense of purpose, sense that the season isn't over. There was joy in their play. There was um, a spark. There was sp- the, there were connections being made around the pitch. It felt like they liked each other. They appreciated what movement was being made, how decent a pass was. There was a bit of freedom, a bit of flow to it. Ten Hag afterwards, I think <laughs> I think he's I think he's quite hard to to sort of judge how he's feeling because he's he's quite monotone but I think for him he was quite excited that was his version of being excited he sounded slightly staccato because I think he he wanted to do a little jig so I was impressed by the shift in mood because for quite a long time now it's been a bit the stories have been miserable coming out of the club there's there's it seems to be one player problem after another the results have been largely disappointing and if they've managed to win they haven't done so in style but there was there was there were sparks of happiness and like I say they they looked like a team who like each other how much do you think this joy and buzz is coming from Kobe Mainu and that goal against Wolves because I mean as I say in the office Mm. watching it I'm thinking you know getting to you know work out how to redo the paper and the website and thinking they've thrown it away again I mean for a young lad to pick up the ball Nutmeg someone, shimmy past another and just curl it in the bottom corner, Tony. That's a bit special, isn't it? Well, the the, the special part of that goal for me was composure and the final, (coughs) the way he struck the ball. Mm. Because he could have easily just let go, let let rip and it goes corner flag. Mm. But he's actually decided to keep control of the ball and place it into the spot that needs, you know, you've got to be incredibly precise there. That's not just like an effort of, oh, I'll put it in the corner. That is with pace, and burying it right. We used to have a number, when I was a kid growing up, we always had the number 10 spot. Lots of players did where it's the corner of the goal and you've got to hit that number 10 because that's the only way you're beating the goalkeeper. So it sort of reminded me of that as mm. growing up, of that perfect spot that you've got to hit. And, um, and yeah, and look, there, there is shining lights at Man United. You can't ignore that. From the club that started the season and all what's happened during that time, it's been freefall at times with the club. And now it feels like there is something slightly different. Uh, there's slightly different about the club. Um, can they maintain it now? Can they keep improving on what they've done in recent weeks? Because it's small shoots, isn't it? Mm, definitely. The, the other thing is that the you know academy graduates. I've, I sound like a broken record with this, but it, having having a few players that have come through your youth system just mm. infuses a club with a bit more happiness. Mm. It does, and the fans. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I know Garnacho came came from from Spain. Uh, Rashford, he, we don't really look at as an academy graduate now because because yeah. he's he's twenty six, I think. But they have three players there who have come through the academy, and Mino's like, Mino has made a big difference. I think I have to say as well, the Casemiro thing is, I found really strange. Like the the way the way the extent to which the perception of him as a Manchester United player and a signing shifted so dramatically like from playing so well well from his yeah from his impact you know he was it was he was lauded when he yeah. in the first season and he started this season really badly and he was injured he missed a lot a, a lot of football but he's not just he's not suddenly turned into a dud like his, his legs didn't go in one summer no like there was it's been it's understandable you look and you think they paid a lot of money for a 30 31. year old 31 whatever paid, paying him a lot of money he's never been quick contract like it, yeah, it, people were looking for looking for problems in the modern Manchester United, and yeah, you could you could talk about the strategy and the transfer strategy there, but they have Casemiro, who's a hugely experienced player, and his legs haven't gone in one summer. And if you play him 
and, and the right balance in midfield, that's always been Manchester United's problem. Playing him alongside Eriksen, no chance. Yeah. Playing those two and Scott McTominay, just doesn't feel right either. Mino gives a bit of a different a different feel to that. Yeah, speaking of midfielders who are going through a little bit of a difficult time, Calvin Phillips, it's been a tough start at West Ham. He starts the game against Bournemouth, gives away the first goal to Dominic Solanke, then comes on and I'm pretty sure he get does he get mugged by McTominay for the third goal on the counter-attack in midfield? I think he does. Um, it's it's going to be hard, hard work, isn't it? We're looking at that going... And obviously lots of David Moyes talking about, I spoke to Gareth Southgate before the before I signed him and this is going to be great. It's not looking... He doesn't look like a midfielder who's going to be playing for England at the Euros at the moment, does he, Alison? He looks slightly unfit. It's just not quite lean enough. I thought you were going to make another fox analogy. Hmm. And his demeanour is uh, tentative. Um, and, it, and it's not easy. It's not easy, is it? You, you You've not made any mark at all at Manchester City and there is this uh, pressure I think I don't know how much of it he knows about but I mean I think most uh, England fans make jokes about the fact that Gareth Southgate's still going to pick him even Mm. though he doesn't play football anymore sort of thing really really why does he like him so much and that that is a pressure of on its own and going to on loan to a different club um offers you a chance to show why your national team manager does have such faith in you and you know uh, form is temporary but class is permanent you know he's still got all the attributes he had when Southgate used to drool over him if not Pep Guardiola and and yet it's it's he the mistakes he's made have been the sort of mistakes you make because you're you're off the pace and you're you just haven't had enough competitive football and you can train Sure, and you can have a nice welcome from your new teammates. I've been told we, you know, we think you're going to be great for this club. Things are just a bit quicker. They're just a bit quicker when you're actually out there if you haven't been out there very much. And he he just looks slightly off the pace. And of course, the danger is because they're two quite um, obvious mistakes. And you know, his expression afterwards, people focused on it. There were photographs of him looking distraught and slightly surprised. Will that now affect his? confidence more and I mean, how often does Moyes keep using him if he if he's going to make those sorts of errors because actually I don't know I think West Ham played rather well against mm. United they were a bit unlucky you know their finishing was poor but their actual play was was balanced and grown up I thought they could do without players making big mistakes do you, do you know one of the biggest thing I found out and this is only on a personal level is if you miss pre-season um, and you struggle Caicedo Chelsea Miss pre-season, had his head turned, and Brighton has his juggling act between Liverpool and Chelsea, and he turns up, he looks like he just wasn't fit at the start of the season, and he's paid a huge price for that, because he never really has got going. Now, I moved to Celtic, and Aston Villa, Ron Atkinson came in, and he said to me, well, I'm not going to play you in the pre-season for any games, so you train with us, but we'll probably have, you, you can move on, and we've a apparently got a deal ahead, uh, going ahead with Celtic and it was a two week period well I hardly played any football but I was training and I joined Celtic and I, I knew immediately I was way off shape of what I should do but Liam Brady played me he said now I'm going to start you straight away you'll, you'll get fit during the games do you know from one game the adrenaline of the first game which was Dundee United away and by the way it was the uh, Duncan Ferguson's I think one of his first games for Dundee United at the time and I felt so off the pace it took me like Six weeks to two months to even get close to being near fit. By that time, I played five or six terrible games. You know what I mean? So it's there's a the price you pay. Calvin Phillips has not played football. He's you know when you're a player and you're just sitting on the bench and you're watching your teammates and you're training, you lose enthusiasm because you feel like how do I get in? And you and you can go in. Oh, just get back in Monday morning. The team will get beat. Well, Man City don't get beat very often, so you're not like getting hmm. a chance the next week. You're not at a club where managers might spin plates with a selection of a team. You're at a club where Rodri's playing. Whether we get beat six teams on the sp- on the on the spin, you're still not playing. From the adrenaline of Foxes to the adrenaline of Tony Cascarino. <laughs> Lovely link there, Tony, to bring us to the end of part one. Manchester United fans, I hope you enjoyed that. If you've got any other positives that you want to share with me, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk, or maybe you just want to send Gregor Robertson happy birthday wishes. Stick with us, we're talking Chelsea and Crystal Palace next.
As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and today I'm joined by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson to Stamford Bridge. Oh dear Chelsea fans, it's more misery again. And I bring you some wonderful words from one of our journalists from the Match Report today on The Times website. Chelsea simply looked at the opposition like they had never before encountered such smiling positivity. The Wolves fans sang, you're fucking shit, and the home supporters <laughs> joined in. It felt like a watershed moment the day the Chelsea fans ran out of patience with this team. Alison Rudd, those were your words. Indeed. You were there. <laughs> we got a beep in there. No, well, I mean, this is a fascinating thing about the Times style guide, right? You you black, you um, asterisk out effing, but not shit. Yes. So I was like, Do you know what? I'm just going to say both of them and wait for the complaints to roll in. Producer Neil's nodding his head. It's fine. We're all good to go. Alison, Stamford Bridge. I felt very pleased when I typed that out that I knew the style guide without thinking about it. So I typed, I didn't, I put, put in the word shit and asterisk the other word no, we've no, said shit three we times now so there's no, there's no going back <laughs> should have put in fox in instead yeah <laughs> anyway yeah no well it did feel like um i mean there's we've you know Ch- chelsea have 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 struggled they they started the season um with a lot of injuries and there've been blips and doubts along the way but this felt significant for a number of reasons uh one was the crowd. I go to Stamford Bridge quite a lot. Uh, it's been quite a long time since I've heard them so negative about their team. I mean, constant. They were berate, berating individuals, berating the manager. A couple of few sang Jose Mourinho's name. They sang Roman Abramovich's name. Uh, as I said, when the Wolves fans started having a go, they just joined in and agreed that they were rubbish. It, uh, they were jeering... There was, I mean, it just felt like, you know, the people were shouting, I pay good money for this. I've never seen them look so awful. Uh, the front page of the game shows the, the 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 mood of Pochettino. He just sort of, he did look a bit um, fatalistic. Like, well, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And it, but uh, f- from being there, watching it, it was actually... Um, really interesting and very uh, funny and entertaining because Wolves were everything that Chelsea are not at the moment. So Wolves took risks and sometimes unnecessary risks and they did concede and you felt they would playing that way. But they are buoyant and uh, faith in the pace of the team they're an absolute joy to watch absolute joy to, I haven't seen too much of Wolves live I mean you, I, you know you could you could just watch turn up for Neto tickets here's tickets to watch Neto play he's an absolute he's amazing he's he's not he's not just fast he's got amazing close control he reads the game absolutely beautifully he's feisty as well he's you know little stamps here and there he's 
oh, he's just the perfect player. He won't, he won't, he won't, he won't stay at Wolves very long. Cunha I think. too. The way, well, the way I've never seen Cunha. Cunha. That was Cunha's best ever game. Well, obviously he got a hat trick, but it was his best ever game. And but Gary O'Neill said afterwards, because this is going to be all this is all overlooked because yeah. the story was was what Chelsea going to do. But just to quickly say, um, Gary O'Neill said Cunha had been into his gone into his office and asked for a chat before this game. Oh, you know, how can I just you know. Tweak, tweak my game to be a little bit sharper, a little bit better. Am I, am I making the right runs? You know, and they had a chat about it. Oh, wow, that's good management, isn't it? Look at him; he comes out and he's absolutely superb. And and Wolves, Wolves, you know, have needed a new striker, couldn't afford one. They sold loads of players in the summer. Gary O'Neill was a late appointment, and everyone thought they would probably survive because the three teams worse than them. But nobody thought they would be like this. And and the contrast with Chelsea, who've spent over a billion quid, the new owners have, and they've brought in Pochettino, which is a slight risk because of his Spurs connections. But he was the man to had a bit. He had a bit of an aura. He'd be able to mould these disparate group of expensive players um, together. But they just, they Chelsea just got rid of all their cult players, their iconic players, and brought personality. In, they don't have personality. You're absolutely no spot on. There's no personality. The minute, the minute it goes wrong for them, and there is there is class there. Their goal was lovely. The minute it goes wrong, and yes, deflected goals are unfortunate, but they don't they don't have that sense of right. Well, we'll get back in this. They they shrank. They visibly shrank. There's no pattern to their play. I wrote a piece that was up digitally on Sunday yesterday. Uh, saying, you know, Chelsea, you've mentioned plan A's and plan B's with Liverpool, Tom, but Chelsea, they do have a plan B, but they don't have a plan A <laughs> because you don't know what they are. I couldn't tell you what their identity is. And I think you'd be you'd struggle to find the Chelsea fan. In fact, I think Chelsea fan did actually. It's funny how insults have become sort of a bit posher over the years, a bit more intellectual. But someone shouted out in a very gruff voice, what's your identity? <laughs> you know, <laughs> not your effing shit. What's your identity? And it's true. It's they don't have one. They don't. The fans don't know what they're watching. What? What is it? I don't know what it is. You tell me what it is. If anyone can say what Chelsea's identity is, you, you're fibbing. Tony, money any ideas? Excess. Well, you say money and excess, and I wanted to briefly mention an item in your column, Tony, saying this is the worst recruitment you've ever seen by yeah. this Chelsea squad. Yeah, I'd mentioned Barcelona when they obviously Dembele had gone in from France to to Barcelona, Coutinho, and others, um, Griezmann, and when you know very yeah, they expensive. Were, they were good players. Yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say these were top end players, um, but if you look at Chelsea's recruitment, Gregor, it has been very excessive, overpaying for everybody. Yeah. Um, who is worth even close to what they paid for them since Cole they Palmer. bought them? Sorry, Cole yes. Palmer. Yeah, I think. Ah, that's... Well, there's a Cole Palmer problem. Yeah, though, because he's that he that's really weird. The Cole Palmer thing. He is so classy, so good, mm. beautiful goal. Goes missing for ninety percent of the game. Mm. Well, I just uh, look. I I spoke about darker days ahead for Chelsea, and I spoke about this yesterday morning before the game uh, on radio. I was talking about Chelsea. I said I can only see darker days because this club has overspent. It's clearly going to be having financial issues with financial fair play, who they sell, who they move on. There needs to be a, you know, they haven't got a Roman Abramovich anymore or they haven't got the the, the funds available to go again and go and think, well, these didn't work and we'll buy again. It's It's basically who can we move on? And it might even be our better players, the ones that we did do want to keep. So I, I see Chelsea as in freefall, personally. And I mean, I laugh because when... Alison was saying about, you know, it's the worst team I've ever seen. I was thinking, well, did you see the Chelsea of 1992 that we were in? Because <laughs> we weren't a particularly good side, but we... Did you we, have identity, you, though? Oh, absolutely. I was about to say, boy, we could roll up our sleeves and dig deep. But everyone you know, thinks identity means, like, what? what's the style of football? It's not yeah. just that. It's like... Who do you look at? If, it, if you take Silva out of that team, you just go, my God, this is like it looked like a team of little boys. But Gregor, like, can I just make one quick point? Because you're going to talk about identity. The two boys who were sent, De Sassi and uh, Badishil, I've watched at Monaco a lot. They don't even look close to the players I saw at Monaco. Now, OK, it's a different league. I've watched them in European football. These two look like... Are they going to be the centre-offs in the next five years at Chelsea? Is there not something with character and identity where we have to come back to the manager? Because he's been there 
like a good no. a good six months now. Is it not his responsibility to instill some identity and character in these players, even if they're not? If we consider them overpaid, you know, too big a contracts, they've overpaid for them. Is it not Pochettino's responsibility? Well, he uh, said it was. Well, exactly. So do we not come back to him and Tony's talking about free fall and unraveling? Do we not start going? He's, he's not the right man. I don't know who is, but do we not have to start questioning him in the same way that we questioned Graham Potter, Alison? Yeah, no, and and. and I'll give him credit. He he kept correcting himself to 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 make it clear he blames himself, not just the team. It's not and not just his backroom staff. It's him too. He 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 says we're not good enough. I'm not good enough. This isn't good enough. But he'd like the fans to sort of jeer to give support because they're young players who need their confidence boosting and not to feel terrible when they leave the pitch. If you, but if you've reached the stage where you're having to plead with the fans to <laughs> make your young players feel a little a little more strutty. An then, easy ride. Uh, you know, that, it's, football's brutal. Fans are not going to give easy ride to anyone. Oh, no, they're not going to. But, no. I mean, that's his. it's not the fans' job, is it? The fans just respond to what they see. But wouldn't it be better if Poch turned around and said, look, the game is made up of men and, and the men that play out there are, are going to have to learn that football can be pretty brutal. Because if you're in South America, where he came from, and you weren't playing well when you was a young lad, a local lad or whatever, you weren't doing it, you are getting it full on. And it's the same in any major league that, you know, I've been there, had stick. I've been with teammates who have had stick, who've got terrible criticism, lads at Millwall, they're getting absolute pelters. Unfortunately, that is the toxic environment of a footballer that you have to somehow stand up to. And I think the manager has to stop talking about this team as young lads put together and actually go, well, they've got to learn a lot very quickly. And maybe- and, yeah, and also it's a different environment. I mean, he was very almost famous at Spurs for how he handled young players mm. and giving them that boost to feel that they could cope with the pressures of Premier League football. And that was probably one reason why he was appointed. He, he's, he was seen as effectively a avuncular coach. He was someone who, who did know how to put an arm around a player and ease them in. But it's not, this isn't, Chelsea aren't Spurs. Chelsea, he's been appointed on the back of a lot of years of success where, you know, things go wrong. The, the pattern at Chelsea was you, you succeed, great, don't succeed, you're out, we, we change the manager. Mm. Uh, under Abramovich, the players came first, the manager came second. They've tried to change the character and the fans aren't having it. They don't like this mm. new, Let's let's be patient. Plus, yeah, they know they know they spent a billion quid yeah, and it's plus just Spurs been... didn't spend a billion quid. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, a yeah. it was like a gradual process. They pick you know pick young players to 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 feed into the team as and when. This all, it, just look at the team and it it's it feels just impermanent. It feels like transient impermanent. It doesn't feel like there's anyone who, despite them all coming in as being young players for the future, and it doesn't feel like this is going to work. Not permanent then. It doesn't. Poch- Pochettino going to be still there at the end of the season. Should he be? Yes or no? Go on, you love it. Yes or no, Gregor? Yes. Yes, he should be. Tony? Well, if they win the, the cup final and have some sort of finish to the end of this season in the Premier League, yes, but if it continues, there's no way he can be there. Alison? I'm not entirely sure that they can afford to sack him. Interesting. With hmm. financial and yeah. sustainability. That might save you. Profitable rules, whatever they're called. What are they called? Financial. Mm. Profit and sustainability. Profit, profitability and sustainability rules. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Profit, that and Profit and sustainability. Profit and sustainability rules. Yeah, I, I don't think they can afford to start just giving people Well, I'd add payout. to that. Uh, just that, you know, it's quite an obvious one. He's a very he, long he yes or no sur- answers. He wouldn't have survived under Roman, that's for sure. Um, and he certainly wouldn't have survived under Ken Bates if we want to go even further back. <laughs> yeah. I well, thought if that's good, they're good things or not. But, like, again, Gallagher, <laughs> the, the, way they, the, way, the only way they can change a team up now is by selling more kids, more yeah, academy kids. Exactly. They'll sell Chalaba, they'll probably sell Gallagher even though Poch doesn't want them. That just says everything about how muddled this is. And, there's always a, there's a great way of watching you on this podcast, and this is not very good for listeners, but I'm going to try and describe it. Gregor Robertson, whenever he's talking about Chelsea this season, always has like his slumped. head in his hands, yeah. slumped forward in slight I honestly despair. think I honestly no. think this that we'll look back at this period in history and think it was the worst tenure of a football club, the worst, Would you, okay, the worst so transfer dealings in Premier League history. Do you I think honestly think that the, we'll this look is back way at this. worse than what's happened to Manchester United? Oh. 
by a country mile because they've spent mm. what Manchester United spent in a decade in three transfer windows. Yeah. And well, you could see that there was a vision. It was like so. United roughly kept pace like, with top four as well, yeah. didn't they? They'd pop in and pop out, whereas Chelsea genuinely looked like a mid-table team at best. Yeah, there's like you look at it and you think there's so many players who need to grow, but when there's too many people who need to grow all together, there's no one helping them do it. Like I keep Silva's the only one who's who's really got any stature and real stand. Like Sterling should, but he's he's always been a little bit having peaks and troughs in his. In well, he his was career. great at the start of the season, and he's mm. he's gradually fallen to the standards of everyone around. Gregor looks like he's going to lose the plot, so we need to move <laughs> on from Chelsea. Yeah, we talk, let's, well, Alison um, helped me out by mentioning Wolves in her very eloquent opening answer, so she stopped me having to do. And we must talk about Wolves, but we must talk about Wolves because as much as I was saying brilliant for Manchester United to have got back to back wins, they were fantastic in that game against United, mm. coming back and showed lots of the things that you outlined. Um, Alison Gary O'Neill is he going to be there at the end of the season is he going to be at Chelsea I thought yes. you were going to say <laughs> with Neto and Cunha who he'll have bought for 75 million well, each but Gary thing, O'Neill if anyone's well, changing their manager they're going to be looking at Gary O'Neill aren't they okay yeah um, what I would say sorry um, Wolves fans this isn't the kind of positivity know, you want things I know well G- Gary actually lives around the corner from me okay um, so I bump into him in the local coffee place a bit like Alison Bumps into Gary Lineker <laughs> in Barnes. All right, let's not do famous friends, okay? Um, so it's interesting that Gary takes as a driver every day to take him to Wolverhampton, okay? So there's only a quick solution to this is are Wolves going to throw a new contract at Gary very... Because I don't imagine, I don't know, because I don't sit and talk to Gary O'Neill about things like this. I just say hello and, you know... Have you seen this new coffee that's <laughs> yeah, taken yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> You know, so we have, we have chats and we talk a little bit about football, but it's not like mates. I'm not Gary O'Neill's mate. I just know him and say hello and he, hey, Cass, whatever. And and he, when he signed the deal with Wolves, he was given an opportunity. So he wouldn't have had a great contract at Wolverhampton Wanderers because he was... Obviously desperate to get back into football. Wolves gave him an opportunity to be a Premier League manager. And it's gone brilliantly. Now, Wolves have got an option here. Do they try and tie him down to a new contract very quickly? Because there will be jobs. And doing a two-hour... I mean, this is not coming from Gary, by the way. When he said it to me, that he's doing two hours a day with a driver, taking him to Wolverhampton and back every day, I was thinking, wow, that is a massive call for a manager. You know, time-consuming, obviously working in the car... Going to uh, Sean Derry travels with him because he lives around the corner. He, he knows from his, his assistant to to Gary at Wolves, and I keep thinking, are Crystal Palace going to try and jump in here on Gary O'Neill? You know, it, because it looks more likely they will have a change somewhere along. That, that. And it's local to him. It's you know Crystal Palace to where we live is half hour, if that. And so I do wonder what Wolves' steps going to be. Are they going to go, right, we need to tie him down. We need to tie him down soon. Because someone would take him. But the bigger thing is, is he, he, there have been, in, in kind of dodgy moments, he's spoken about what he's had to contend with at the club, I think. You know, they sold, I think they sold £185 million where the yeah. players spent, you know, a little bit. But there were, when he came in, it, that was the task. They had to comply with the, with, mm. with the profit and sustainability rules. Oh, you say it so much I did it well than me. So, <laughs> so, he, you know, what happens next... Have yeah. they got? Have they got any wriggle room? Of the, is there going to be some degree of amb- like ambition for him? Yeah, I think we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Like he's he's doing a great job at a really a good club. I'm sure there will be interest, but the thing the thing for him will be to kind of gauge whether. Mm. I mean, is Crystal Palace necessarily a better place well, to be than I know? Well, be listen. Well, listen. The no, reason Tony, you were known for your knockdowns and your assists during your career, and you've teed me up perfectly for us to finish with Crystal Palace. <laughs> Whether it's Gary O'Neill or not, we find it hard to believe that Roy Hodgson will be there at the end of the season. But is this... I wanted to ask about Palace generally, and we have we know, we know lots of Palace fans on the sports desk as well. You look at you know the two games, and my dad always said to me, supporting Lincoln City, well, a win and a defeat is better than two draws, isn't it? Because it's one more point. Yeah. But I don't think Crystal Palace fans will necessarily feel like that about beating Sheffield United and then getting thrashed by Brighton. Is this part of the problem that Palace have got in that essentially this is under Hodgson, that's what they are. They'll... They'll win the home game. They should win to get the three points. They'll lose against Brighton away, therefore. But that is more points, and they won't go down, and they'll finish sixteenth, and that's where we are, Alison. But that's, but that, that they are exactly what they should be. They have no depth whatsoever. They're they're just they're not a big enough club to afford it. They don't have 
the depth. They, and they've had terrible um, bad luck with injuries to key, key players. And it's now become a bit of a pantomime over the Eze Elise. Does he, does he, it's always like, oh, should Roy be risking them? And then if he doesn't, he's lacking ambition. And when he does, he's being reckless. He can't win on those two, it seems. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, he does have to listen to the medics at the club. It's, it's, when things aren't going well, you tend to focus entirely on, on the manager as if, as if he's some sort of deity and has control over these things. And he doesn't. He has no control over who gets injured. He has no control over the fact there's no depth to the squad. They're constantly bringing on players I've never heard of, you know, young players. They're, they are scraping the barrel. But in terms, so in terms of outlay and injury list, Palace are exactly where they should be. I don't see how bringing in a new manager could change that. A new manager won't change who gets injured, who's at risk of re-injury. A new manager won't suddenly get money to spend between now and the end of the season because you're not allowed to do that. You say you don't think, Tom, you say, I don't think Roy Hodgson will be there. If he goes, it'll simply be to pander to an increasingly vocal group of fans who are just angry and Steve Parrish isn't going to resign so they will they will make Roy the full guy even though not that long ago we were praising how well he'd stabilised the club given them an identity which we've already discussed is very important um, he's not you know it's so easy to parody Roy but actually when when he can and when he has the players available they play quite thrilling football and they, they, they can be an enjoyable watch sometimes you don't have access to those thrilling players and you just have to do what you can do. I just don't see the logic of thinking that bringing in someone now and you can't change who's at the club would make any difference at all, especially when the person you're getting rid of is someone you brought in because you despaired of trying to be over-ambitious with, with you know, t- instructing a manager to play more attractive football and then being unable to do so it takes time to change culture and they were dropping points so you bring in um, someone with the vast experience that Roy Hodgson has to just make sure everyone calms down and, and knows that the, the the task is to stay stay in the division I honestly honestly other than it being a political act cannot see why you would get rid of Roy Hodgson but that's the difficulty they got isn't it and we were speaking about them so glowingly on Thursday particularly Michael Elise and Eberich Eze He's brilliant with those players, and he, he, you know, he sets up the team to let them excel. But Tony, I was only wondering about some of the things Alison's outlined there about, you know, this kind of almost a PR move, wouldn't it be, to get rid of Roy Hodgson to to placate a lot of fans that, as you say, want something different. Yeah, is there not a case of starting that transition earlier? That would be my only argument for, see, and I don't, so, and I don't agree with it, but I'm so, just, you know, uh, s- look, suggesting. I've been lucky enough through Alison to meet Roy, and and you can tell he's a very smart man. And he's managed since 1976. And he's had an incredible career. I just don't see how he will survive without it ending badly. I don't want it to end badly for Roy, as in being sacked. Or I don't think that they'll sack him anyway. I think that would be a really it's stupid so, move. It's already ended badly. Huh? It's already ended Well, it's ending badly because the narrative is Roy's got to go by a number of Crystal Palace it, supporters. It's not his fault it's ended badly. It's, it's the clubs. Yeah, yeah. should I, never I, have re-employed them in the summer. Yeah, well, I, I think you could say they would probably go, well, he's, he's done safe, the job. He's a safe pair of and hands. He, yeah, and yeah, but he came back, he did, did a great job, and he could have left him. as the another players, hero. You say they shouldn't have appointed him. The players Absolutely. responded to him more than they'd pres- responded yeah, I, to I got the player's choice who, who the manager is. My, 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 my axe with it all really is that I don't think he deserves to exit the football club in a, with a sort of a feeling of a t- his towel between his legs. He's done incredibly well for Crystal Palace. And yes, this is a redundant club, in my opinion. It's always done the very least in the transfer market. And they will say to you, we bought this, this. Uh, you know, it's not been that. In, in comparison with being a London club, Crystal Palace have not been aggressive. And, and rightly so. They kept the club, you know, it's not got themselves in any financial difficulty. So they've done really well in that respect. But I just don't want to see Roy have a bad ending. I, I want it to be, do you know what? I'd love Roy to do what Jurgen Klopp go, I'm going at the end of the season. Like He's had an incredible career. Who, who survives nearly 50 years in football as a manager? Well, quite right. And 
but coming back to something you just said, Gregor, because you're saying you shouldn't, they shouldn't have appointed him in, in the summer. But And obviously, as we're suggesting, it looks like it's going that way now that they pick someone else. Where do you go? Who do you pick? You don't have to give me a name, but just kind of the type of manager. Because they did try it. They tried it with Vieira. They tried it with De Boer, of course. That ended disastrously. Why, what, what should they be looking? Should they be trying to nick Gary O'Neill? Gary O'Neill would be a great appointment. I mean, Gary O'Neill would be a great appointment for a lot of teams because... Despite all the stuff that was going on around him, he we're talking about identity a lot, a lot of places and their lack of it. He's given his teams, he's given Bournemouth, he gave Bournemouth that, and mm. he's given Wolves that just by his his coaching. But should they be going young, homegrown coach? Should they be going former player with a well, connection look, you, to the club? Because there's a lot of things that Roy Hodgson brings. You know, matter. he's good. Doesn't matter. It's like if they're clearly their 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 blueprint is to go and sign young up and coming like Wharton, who's coming from from Blackburn, they spent more than twenty mm. million pounds on him. There's a track record of going into the EFL, in fact, to to pick pick good players and and overseas. You've got to have a coach who who marries up with that. That's that would be the obvious thing to say first of all. But there there are bigger issues at play at Palace too. Like Steve Parish has ten percent shareholding, and but he mm. but he controls he controls like the football operations. It's like the kind of weird thing that's going on at Manchester United now. So there's like tension in the boardroom there too because they have American investors who have a bigger shareholding, and they have a bit of a difference of opinion about what. What he should be doing with their money, like he he spent it all on a on a training ground. He wants to improve the new uh, one of the stands at the, at the at the stadium rather than just plow it all into the team. They want to see a bit more investment in the in the team, so there's conflict there as well. Like Steve Parish needs to get the next one right, or else I think it probably will get pretty toxic because th- this this they have been sort of lumped with this tag of just a team that's happy to survive. And Roy Hodgson was like. A massive symbol of that. Indeed. Speaking of happy to survive, I just want to finish very quickly with a mention of Luton Town because as much as we got the Liverpool-Arsenal prediction wrong, we gave lots of love to Luton on Thursday's show and they backed it up with another thriller. They're everyone's favourite team, aren't they? Uh, Alison Rudd and Tony Cascarino, I just wanted to finish with a little thought on Luton from both of you because we talked about them with Martin Samuel and Johnny Northcroft and Gregor on Thursday. Have they got hope? Could they stay up? You want me to go first? Go on, Tony. <laughs> yeah, of course. Any team... That I feel Luton. Look, I I friends with John Steele who managed Luton when the, and the, the fan base have always had a real axe to grind against the you know the football league for how they got a thirty point deduction and it's always felt like that at Luton and I feel every player in their team wants to prove they're a Premier League player. That's a big thing to have. All of them are on trial all season and they'll be hanging around that bottom three. We all knew that they'd be involved in that, and um, but they can produce. And they have a Rob Edwards needs great credit for you know getting a, a style that sometimes has two up front you know and will mm. play they will get things in and they're decent at set pieces um, you know you think of it with Lockyer getting you know what's happened with him and and you just feel like the whole team is really united with the football club we talked about Chelsea earlier. And, you know, where a club where no real direction seems to be going. I think it's quite clear with Luton. The direction comes from Gary Sweet, who, who's the CEO at the football club. The people involved around him. The appointment of Rob Edwards, that was a, a Watford manager, which was their rival. But they know what they want. And they've got this team that I think will just keep rolling up their sleeves all season. So I'll tell you what, they're scaring a lot of teams around them because they're thinking everyone's expecting us them to lose week in, week out. And they're not doing that. Alison, we love Luton, don't we? Yes, we do. I mean, the moral of this particular edition of the podcast is get an identity. And they don't have... They've. It is quite miraculous how they've managed to transform from, oh, plucky, plucky team, we're all going to be very nice to them, but they'll go down. They've transformed everyone's perception. They don't... They, they play with an identity and they play with positivity and they are brave and they have some really good ball mm. players Ross Barkley I mean that could have gone either way couldn't it but he's 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 so comfortable in that team being the grown up it's like it's amazing because we Ross Ross Barkley sort of had that sort of tag of being um diffi- you know oh, I don't know he was out of just Chelsea was too big a place for him and he he got lost there and he was supposed to be this promising talent, and it didn't work for him. And that can often mean the end for a player. But no, he's gone. He's gone to Luton, and he's he's all the best bits of Ross Barkley are there. That's thanks to the manager. They all buy into it. 
there's something about the way they their whole demeanour on and off the pitch, the style of play. They're just not playing like a team who's even countenancing that they'll go down. Identity, character and adrenaline. This podcast has been packed with it. Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with Martin Samuel and Gregor. I'm sure they'll be providing plenty more adrenaline too. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.